friends, and welcome to Pod Return to the Waking Sands. We are a Final Fantasy XIV companion podcast where we explore the lore and story of Hydaelyn and beyond. My name is Jen, and I'm joined by my co-host and researcher. I'm Levi. Hi, Levi. Hello, Jen. Hello. Today, we are wrapping up the patch 2.1 main story quest and hitting a couple of pieces of side content also. Woo! We'll be talking about the Thornmarch Extreme and the Odin Trial. But first, what happened last time, Jen? Now that the dust has settled a bit, uh, there is new dust in the form of uh, Good King Mugglemog the Twelfth. This is a primal, and he's a weird one, and he seems fine, and the Moogles seem to like him, uh, but he's bad news, so we have to go deal with him. So we dealt with him, and the Moggles Guard, and... Um, officially started moving into the Rising Stones or made the decision to move into the Rising Stones? There was, like, the decision and then, like, the initials moving in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so now we're officially moving moving in. Actually moving in. We're They're moving in while we're doing the easy work shit. of fighting primals in, in Garbo. Yeah, you know what? I'd rather do that than move. Yeah. Fuck a move. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Ayo. <laughs> so, we ha- are assured that the Moggle's Guard will get a solid reprimand for summoning a primal, and we head back to the Waking Sands. While we've been working on the primal problem, the Scions have been preparing to move, and they are about to start the transition to the Waking Sands, sorry, to the Rising Stones right now. So the furniture's in place, now the people gotta get there. Yes, and they're gonna go in irregular groups to try to throw off any people who might want to be shitty. Yeah. So I was wondering at first, like, they say, okay, so we got to go in small groups to avoid notice. And I'm like, you guys, you went official already. But then Minvilia says, oh, no, we're, we're trying to avoid, like, being attacked on the way. Right, right, right. Yeah. They're not trying to avoid, like, salespeople. <laughs> or, like, you know, the watchful eyes of Vesper Bay tenants or residents. So, you know, going in in smaller irregular groups, it prevents like, you know, the entirety of the scions being wiped out if such a thing were to happen. Yeah. Everyone has gone though. Like so th- this all kind of happened while we were doing Mogul's Guard shit. And when we get back, it's just us and Minfilia and Urian J in the Waking Sands. Tataru. And also like the side quest givers who will never leave. Right, yeah. Arnvald. Uh he doesn't give shit. He's just hanging out. That other guy. Slosvis. These poor guys are like, hey, guy, can we go? Can we move to the Rising Stones yet? And Manphilia is like, has the Warrior of Light picked up your side quest? No. Well, then no. <laughs> we, should, we should go pick up those quests. These poor, these poor people. Manphilia tells us that Urian J is going to be in charge of the Waking Sands after we leave. It'll be his show going forward. He's going to continue doing uh, the research on primal stuff to figure out, you know, how can we take care of this once and for all, surely, in the, you know, eons of scripture and stuff, there's got to be an answer. So that's what he's going to be doing. And she says that Alice will also be helping out as well, which is kind of a shock. Her name gets dropped out of nowhere. Right? This is the first time we've heard her name since level level 10, 15, something. Yeah, yeah, level 15 when we do the tour. Yep. Yeah. So we go and see Urian J and see if he needs help. He gives us a huge pile of Urian J speech. <laughs> Distilling it down, he says it's important to preserve our roots, the waking sands, as we march towards our future. He also cautions us against pride and that we should not think ourselves above the failings of our forebears. And as he's lecturing us, there is a scream from the solar, and we rush over. So in the solar, Menphilia is on the ground, and she's she's barely able to speak, but that's okay, because right then we have an echo flashback, and we see the preceding, like, seven minutes. So what Menphilia is doing, she's she's finishing up packing. She's packing up uh, Tupsumati, Louisois' staff, which is, like, I think the last thing she has to do. And while she's doing this, uh, the voice of an unknown person 
And because of the graphic of this text, we know it's, you know, an Asian. Um, but it's an Asian we haven't met yet. And he, they say uh, how Louis Soir was wise beyond mortal measure and how they wished they could have met him before his passing. And she turns around and, whoa, it's Nassian, but he's different. He has white robes instead of black. So um, she remarks on his garb. Um, and he says, these are the robes of an emissary. And I, you know, he says he has no quarrel with her, unlike he who came before. And she's like, oh, you mean La Habrea? And he's like, yeah. Um, he he was a warrior. Um, he fought and he fell. Perhaps he will yet learn from his mistakes. And at that statement, Minfilia is like, are you fucking kidding me? He, he's, he's still alive. He still persists. And the Asian is like, well, of course he does. Um, you know that his existence persists. There is no oblivion. There is only expulsion. And... Um, this moment, Tataru walks in. Do, 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 do. Hey, we're all ready. Just let us know when you're ready to go. She doesn't see anything. She cannot perceive the Asian. And Minfilia plays it cool. She's like, all right, no problem. I will see you in a bit. Um, and But Tataru can sense that something is weird. You know, she sees like Minfilia kind of like looking in a different direction. She's like, is everything okay? I'm like, no, it's, it's fine. She just, so Tataru thinks that Minfilia is just kind of sad about the whole move. You know, she's kind of overwhelmed with these emotions. And she's like, it'll be, it'll be great. You know, we'll make it the same kind of home that we have here. And, and she's just trying to like, you know, give her some, some little platitudes and stuff and be in Tataru. And then she leaves. And then the Asian goes into why you know, Menphilia can see him or perceive him and Tatru can't. And it's not just about the echo. Um, it's just in general when you have... It, basically, Tatru has a blind spot she doesn't know she has. Um, but Menphilia has more knowledge and more awareness in general about the universe at large and therefore can kind of... There's like a, it's an expectation that's been built up in her psyche. So she is able to like you know, see this thing and, and know of this thing. And there's, there's like this secret expectation and he has fulfilled it. However, even with these, this ability to perceive, she has not yet mastered her gift, the echo. And when, so she cannot perceive him fully. Um, like this is a, like a crude. A crude approximation is yeah. the direct quote. Ah, yes. I didn't even write so, that down, but I was going to say it anyway. Nice. Yeah. She has a perception as to what an Asian should be. And so that is the form that this guy takes, even mm -hmm. though apparently they have a different true form that only a master of the echo should be able to perceive. Right. So he's just like a same thing, different skin. This the mystery Asian tells her if she were to master the echo, there would be no conflict between their people because we'd all be on the same page. We would all know all the things, um, which is kind of incredible because Asians, like, they have ancient knowledge. So to master the Echo would give, like, her the exact same abilities, which seems crazy to me. So here's my thought here. There, this is very odd because I feel like the track being laid here is not where the train goes no. in terms of the story. No, it is still compatible with the destination, but it is it is not. It doesn't feel like this is leading up to where the story goes ultimately. Yeah, I mean, this is this is again. They're just kind of feeling it out. There's a lot of lot of echoness going on in early on in in this game, uh -huh. which it it you know it. it it carries on, but not. A, they don't use it as a crutch later in yeah. the game like they do right now. Yes, um, but also it's if we parse this with what we do know about the story, it is really an arrogant statement thinking about what the Asians want. That if oh yeah, Manfilia or the Echo, she'd be totally wielders, on board. If only yeah. she knew. Yeah, no, no, no. This is more. Yeah, this is this is on brand for Asian speak. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they are, they are fully on board with their, their God, their, you know, with Zodiac and his mission, of course. So that's, yeah, but that's going to be the flavor of. They assume though that 
they're the only thing holding back you know like uh, humankind in terms of the the mortals that yeah exist in the present day from being aligned with the Asians is just lack of vision not <laughs> all the other shit that would have to be compromised to reach the Asians again vision. they are so far removed from like a human's experience yep. in the world and you know i ugh, i can't say anything because we don't know any of this stuff yet <laughs> um but that's basically it like yeah. his uh, his perception is so fucking skewed he can no longer relate and so yeah that's why we're getting the speech we're getting so he says, anyway, thanks for talking, Minfilia, but I was just here to say what's up and see what's going on here. Peace. BBL. Yeah, just to let you know, we're still fucking watching you, I guess, in a way. But he's got his own, like, La Habrea had his own plan, mm-hmm. he, and he was doing his shit. This this new guy, this emissary, doesn't really have a lot of good things to say about La Habrea. Not that they're bad, just like, you know, he, he had some ideas and his his ideas about the echo it was specifically were incorrect so he made a big fat mess of things i think with my approach as an emissary i'm going to get much farther um getting all y'all on board with our mission so like fine give it a go dude i guess so he turns to leave Mm, yeah as he tries to leave though and he is leaving the space physically he's, he's not walking like, towards the door teleporting out yeah he's not like mid teleport and she tries to rush towards him to i'm assuming to stop him yeah to- she's like you need to st- like you can't just appear say some shit like this and then leave because this is menphilia so she's like you will f- stop stop right there and then she runs after him and, and he turns around and blasts, blasts her, her with a beam of dark energy and she collapses he says, mayhap I was indelicate. Tis a mercy she shields her children from his grace with such resolve. I'm assuming mm-hmm. Heidelin is right. the she. Heidelin v. Yep. Zodiac, yep. Mm-hmm. So that is the echo flashback that we get from like five minutes ago. Yep. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um. Urian J and Tataru are gathered around Minfilia. She regains consciousness, saying that she's fine, but charges Urian J with calling on the students of Baldesian to research any Asians in white. Has this guy appeared beforehand? Sure. What the fuck? Sure. And she asks us, our character, to go and track down this guy in person because he walked, not ran, out <laughs> of the waking sands. Yeah, Urian J says, I saw this guy just walking out. So it's possible he's just like in Vesper Bay. And he is. Yeah. We go outside. He's Just chilling in the streets. In the middle of the road. And we say, hey, what the fuck, dude? And <laughs> he tells us that he would like to know us. But of course, he has to know us through combat because reasons. Yeah, it's, you know, that's why we're here. Yeah. Um, Push so buttons. he's going to give us a special trial of following in his footsteps and fighting guys. And if we survive, then he will talk to us and grace us with some more bullshit. Yeah. Also, this is partly to to prove that we are indeed the warrior of light, as everybody says. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm just not going to, you know, take this is I'm not this is hearsay. I need you to prove it. This, this I don't know. This does not work for me. <laughs> we we so, have to go with the knowledge of the ancients. This guy couldn't perceive that we are actually who we are. Can we? Okay. Speed bump some fights. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. So we give chase and enemies spawn on us as we chase him north out of Vesper Bay into that fungus-filled area. Parada's Peace yes. is where we end up. So we fight some imps and gargoyles, then a pair of gargoyles, and then we finally find him as a final challenge. We are ambushed by four Asians, just Four Asian mages. Yeah. So yep. these are the black-robed guys, like the, the mooks on the Asian level. <laughs> and we just take them out. It's like, okay, so yeah. this is a bit gratuitous, I guess. Like, what is this proving exactly? Did you not get the memo about the whole ultimate weapon thing and all that crap we've been doing? Yeah, we... we- expelled quote unquote your bro la habrea and also we knocked down these asians in like five hits or whatever like it's why would you want to game designers <laughs> put your make your though. fucking like <laughs> arc nemesis as like a speed bump fight what is the benefit of this challenge I wish here he had conjured like not like asian mages because then it, it cheapens their whole mystique i think yeah it should have been like void scent or or like shadows of Asians and not like 
actual dudes he's like hey hey i need to borrow you for you're gonna like die you'll come back it's fine but this for just like a quick thing that i'm doing yeah like <laughs> it's, it's, who agreed to that god i i, I question mm-hmm. the validity of this whole challenge in general yep it's just a way to get us to fight shit yeah uh, anyway so we kill all, all the shit and then we draw our weapon on this guy but he says have the laws of man grown so twisted in my absence that it is now permitted to lay hands upon an emissary? Oh, he says this because after we are ambushed for the fourth fucking time on his little journey, we adopt our fighting stance within reason, I think. Um, and he's all like, oh, how dare you? It's just, you have no respect for the the." My for, station. For, yeah, for the yeah for, for people who are emissaries. I'm like, well, and I, I mean, I do, but it's you. Okay. Yeah. He says also that he was acting in self-defense against Minfilia. He was not in any danger whatsoever there. Right? Whatever. He, he's kind of full of shit. He tells us, though, that La Habrea was something of a rebel, and even among his brethren, he is unique. Mm. <laughs> but his misdeeds revealed us as the warrior of light. So that's cool. Though our mother, Heidelin, favors us, can't we feel that her strength wanes? These lands shall soon change. As it was, so shall it be. As it should always have been. Okay. Okay. He continues. He now name drops himself. (laughs) I am Elidibus, emissary, bearer of the word of the one true God, and we shall meet again. Then he teleports out, finally. We return to the Waking Sands to report our findings. Minfilia is mainly confused about what's going on, as am I, frankly, at this point. (laughs) It just raises more questions. Yeah, no, she's got all sorts of questions, but, you know, she's going to need some help on this one. As a final matter, before we leave, she entrusts her journal to Urian J. This belonged to her father when he was conducting espionage being a double agent between the Alamegans and the Empire. And it contains the information that he gleaned from the Empire on primals. This has been Minfilia's reference so far, mm-hmm. her source of knowledge on our foe, and now it is Urian J's burden and resource. Yes. Um, but this is no small thing that Minfilia offers. This is this is the only connection, physical connection she has to her father. Yep. Um, and it's clear that it... it, it even with this this cache of knowledge that her father has has built, and it being completely key to Oriange's um, task, it she it's just it's hard for her to like let it go. Uh-huh. And and once she does let it go, like she gives it to us to give it to Oriange, like just don't remind me that I've given it away. And um, she she checks in after we've given it. She's like, did you give him the um? Well, what happens? Uh, anyway, I gotta go. Like she, can, he can't even like talk about it. We walk down from the solar down to the former break room, and give Urianjay the journal. He says thanks. I'll study it. Blah blah blah. It's been ten seconds. She pings us on the link. Pearl right, right. She's like, saying, you know what? I I left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I bet you're still in the lobby of the Waking Sands. I bet I could fucking see you if I walked out of this door. You know, I guess the, the meta being like, if we're talking to Uriange, it's clear we've been there for at least 15 minutes. There we and that go. has given her plenty of time to get to the Rising Stones. But yeah, she bailed while we were given the thing. And I think that's part of it, too, is like she just she like the, the, the giving over of this journal, her father's journal to Uriange was like the final like, I have to like, I have to shut this whole thing off in my memory right now and move on. Like, I just have to move on. Shut it down. Yeah. Just like it's 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 it lives in the waking sands. I have to move on from for, you know, this is it's just it was a lot for her to deal with. So, yeah. So we now follow her to the rising stones. Well, Mm. to Mordona. And we find Tataru right by the Aetherite. She is talking to Slothborn and he's in the middle of informing her that all documents are now final and the rising stones is officially ours. I also also this this is the moment when I walk up and I you know say hello to Tatru in Revenant's Toll and there's the little 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 baby cutscene and she just she turns to look at me to say hey welcome but because I'm a Lalafell when she turned we were like at eye level and this is like the first time I think I've been eye level well with Tatru for sure 
you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, well, okay, so I had some, I had some thoughts on this. It's been, it's been a minute. For some reason, it really, like, it kind of got me that moment when she, she turns and looks at me, and we're like, boom, like Lollafell to Lollafell, and it, it's different, you know. And when I first did this, my, um, my, um, my main character, like, I'm a normal kind of height person, and so I'm constantly looking down at her, and I don't really remember a moment where you are like face to face eye to eye with a scion in a cutscene where they're like looking like head on straight at you for, I don't I don't know it just felt really significant right then that's all brace yourself Jen for far more Lala custom moments to come <laughs> yeah I love Lala I love life. that yeah <laughs> so Tataru is a, a little bit intimidated by all the new people in Revenant's Toll and there is one odd-looking fellow that's been eyeing us that she is very suspicious of. So, yeah, he keeps looking at us, you know? We He's... look over, and we see quite a sight. There is a stubbled man with swept-back light blonde hair and a weird, ornate techno mask. <laughs> Slothborn clarifies that this guy is here to hunt for treasures in the Crystal Tower. Yeah, he's, looking, will... he look, he's looking for Allegan relics. We will get to the Crystal Tower questline in a short while, but this disguise or whatever his outfit <laughs> is, is fucking hilarious. He's not blending in at all. No. <laughs> he looks not, like at least he could match like what the Soins of Koinok look like, you know, like he's, uh, yeah, I'm looking for relics just like these guys. Nothing to see here. Totally legit. Um, no, he's a, he is a. He's sticking out like a sore thumb. Of course, it doesn't help that he's like six foot five. Nope. <laughs> um, and though I, I gotta, I gotta say, I don't think Slothborn references it as the Crystal Tower. He just says he's probably here because of that huge crystal structure southeast of the camp. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, does, he doesn't even know a what it's tower called. Tower of Crystal. Right. It's just yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't know what the name of it is. So and, and and like we don't really we don't either at this point. We just like yeah. What the fuck is that? I guess we'll find out. We, because we've been completionists, Jen, we have been pointed in that direction a few times now, especially in the monk quest line. And uh, summoner. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're dancing around it. We now head into the seventh heaven bar and to the back room, which is the rising stones. This is a huge ass fucking back room. Back suite, more like. Yeah, it's a whole... Like, so the Waking Sands, I mean, it's got, like, corridors and rooms off of corridors. This is just one big fucking space. Yeah, it is also far more swank than the Waking Sands were, too. That felt very much like a basement. This is a back room of a tavern in terms of its location, but it is, like, a... I don't even know. We've got planners. We've got dining tables. We have a big fat bar. Yeah. Lamin is chilling. She's doing bartender stuff. Windows. Uh... Do we have windows? Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah, we got windows. Woo! All right. Well, this is uh, great. This is this is symbolic because we're no longer hiding in the shadows. We see many scions down here, including Thinkrid, who seems to be eyeing Philomene lasciviously. He is muttering to himself about how someone is as attractive as ever. Oh my god! I wonder if, for old times' sake, gross. What's gross, Jin? I don't. I don't know why it's gross. It just feels gross. Is it um, because... Maybe stop. I mean, Thancred's going to Thancred. Sure. Um, and also, she is the songstress of Ulda, and there is a heavy amount of mystique and status that goes along with that title. So I get it. Um, but f- it's been like 15 years since you've seen her. and And she's as good as ever. I mean, get after it, but <laughs> okay. This is fine, in my opinion. Oh, it's sacred. I mean, it's, it's not. It's been so so long though since we, because well, we didn't. Neither of us started it in Uldah this time, right? But when you do, you Thancred is your is your scion, yeah. And there are like flashbacks and cutscenes where you see him like you know floozing it up, yes. And otherwise, you don't really get a sense of that. Except, I guess, in this moment. Yeah. Which might feel weird. I don't know. Well, I mean, I guess his depiction aside in the story we've seen so far, I I honestly, I don't know what was portrayed between him and Philomene in the 1.0 days. 
Mm. which is mm. when they were still stomping around in the same area. Um, I do not recall that from my 1.0 research, so couldn't say if it was over romance between the two of them, though obviously implied romance. I mean, because how old is Thankard right now? Like 29? Like nobody's over 30 in this game. That's not true. Thankard's so like... 15 years ago, he would have been a teenager and Flamine would have been probably 30. I think he is older than that. Let's see. Looks like 32... All right, so he was 17. Correct. Okay, so no. this It, it could be more gross, but. He was 17 when he appeared in Uldah on, I think, the day that the whole whole Gubu thing happened. Mm-hmm. He's not that much older than Minfilia. That's the weird part. Correct. Yes, so 17 is when we first met Thancred in the 1.0 story, and that's when he faced down the Gubu in that whole event back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Philomene. Philomene is 37. Huh. She does not present as 37. I no, she say. presents at 57. Yeah. Yes. Agree. Um, There's something about her off. features that feels like it's age. It yes. might be the glasses partially that add It's like some... the haircut. It's the glasses. It's not like she has, you know, hollow wrinkles or anything. But yeah, she does. She definitely feels older. And also, we're perceiving her in the framework of, you know, mother. Parents fuck too, Jen. Well, sorry to tell yes, you. Yes, I know, but I just this is like uh, perceiving her, like her her age. Yeah. So, um, she is confirmed thirty seven today, which I, I think that in that case, it is a disservice by her portrayal. I, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to place what it is that makes her seem so old looking, and yeah. I think it's the glasses, but mostly, yeah. Plus her gray hair, which I know half the people have gray hair, but it is more like a white gray than a gray gray. I don't fucking know. And her- outfit is very like demure you know it's it's kind of modest and 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 very overtly feminine there's no i don't know like hot armor shit going on no hot armor shit <laughs> like everybody else has hot armor shot armor shit except for well Estola. anyway um, it's a five-year gap it's fine it's fine go at it thank rid yeah that's 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 yeah. fine have our blessing thank rid to to get after it <laughs> <laughs> Cool. I'm glad we spent so much time on that. <laughs> that is the only noteworthy comment I found from the scions in the break room. Uh, and the rising I think stones. I, I talked to Alphano, but he was just like, yay, no more salespeople. So we now go into the solar 2.0 and we're followed in by most of the scions. Minfilia is in her place once again behind her desk with the framed Tupsamati behind her. She announces that today is a new day, sorry, a new beginning for the Scions of the Seventh Dawn. Minfilia and Alphano reaffirm our commitment to remain a neutral party, safeguarding all of Eorzea, and there's a bunch of back padding all around amongst <clears throat> the Scions. <laughs> then they leave, and we and Minfilia stay behind. At this point, Uriange enters. Minfilia wants to ask him about Elidibus privately, but Orianje informs us that he has been unable to reach the students of Baldessian, and Minfilia tries their link pearl, nothing. Has something happened to them, she wonders, and she thinks of how Elidibus was able to avoid notice by those without the echo, and maybe he used his powers of transparency <laughs> to enter their headquarters despite yeah. the wards right. there to attack them directly. Yeah, it's... It's super, super weird that they're not answering. And Oriange says that at this point, we have to assume the worst. Um, we're going to keep trying. And Minfilia um, asks Oriange, you know, ask their colleagues in the field. Maybe they know something. This this is when Minfilia starts to get kind of cynical. She kind of loses her shit for like a hot second, um, which is really uncharacteristic of her. So she's like, you know, what next? A crimson, crimson clad, Asian, ochre, puce, and then, and then, which of our, which of our allies, allies will fall silent? Then, uh, you know, she just kind of rants and raves at the universe for a second. She's like, "Okay, pray return to your private affairs," and she walks back to her desk and mutters under her breath, "Cryle, where are you?" So now we have a name. A name. We have a name. Someone is named Kryle. Someone is named Kryle, and they are missing along with the entirety of the students of Baldesian. 
we cut over to that dark Asian void, and we see Elidibus standing in the half-light there. Someone named Nabriales speaks. Your intercession was not foretold. Through this upcoming back and forth, it seems that Nabriales doesn't quite understand what Elidibus is doing right now. Yeah, that makes two of us say, oh. <laughs> there seems to be a growing rift amongst the Asians here between La Habrea's well, yeah, like each weirdness. one of them is kind of going rogue at this point. Yep. Well, well, at least two of them. Yeah. But, um, yeah. But Elidibus says, you know, with the Echo and Eorzea's survival of the Seventh Calamity, aren't you, Nabriella's intrigued? No, <laughs> he's, he's like, not. not really. <laughs> Elidibus says, fine, serve as you will. We labor not at cross purposes. The wisdom of this plan shall become apparent in time. Sounds good. And this concludes the 2.1 main story quest. Boom. Any thoughts on the main story, Jen? Uh, no, nothing Nothing beyond what we've already discussed as far as Asian bullshit. I just appreciate that Elidibus does the same flex to Nabriella's as he did to Minfilia. You know, I think everybody handled that. It, it, the Asians involved, they handled it very maturely. I'm like, all right, you do you, man. All right, we're all here under the same we're all, we're all we're trying to get to the same goal so i'll let you handle stuff like okay so next up we head back to the thorn march but extremer <laughs> good king mugamong 12th he has returned great king well yes um so when we go speak to commander yulwa well first off we pray return to the waking sands and Urian J informs us that despite the severe talking to they received, the Mogul's Guard have again summoned their king. This must be the Asians doing again. And this summoning ritual has resulted in a powered up primal. So we, the Blade Born of Light, must again dispatch the king. So we now go back to the Adder's Nest for details. Yeah. So now we're talking to Commander Hua, I get the thing, and same shit. The king has returned to the forest, enveloped in an almost blinding aura of majesty. Uh, and he's now calling himself Great King Mogamog Twelfth. When Kuplo Cop tried to explain to Moogsplain, Mogsplain, <laughs> Mogsplain, to the Moggles Guard the error of their ways, this just made them more angry. And they're like, fuck you, Kuplo, we're going to summon the king again, but bigger-er and greater-er yeah. than before. Like, Jesus, okay. Well, same same shit. Here we go. So we are going to go and meet up with Kuplo Cop again in the Bramble Patch. Uh, and we will once again face the great king, Mogulmog Twelfth. May his scepter of judgment ever command our respect. Indeed. In in the fight, however, he is still titled as good king Mogulmog instead of great. Yeah. A real fuck up. What the hell? Yeah. We were told things. <laughs> Promises were made. Yeah. <laughs> so this fight is pretty wild. The extreme thorn march. And it was a real killer back in the day. Oh my God. Yes. Jen, you were saying how when you were doing your research for the fight, like every guide talked about how hard it was to do. Everybody hates this fight. It's universally like loathed because it's such, there's so much shit going on. It's just very annoying. Um, you have the how many how many Moggles guard are there? Like eight? Um ten? I think seven actually. Okay. Each of them plays a role. You know, black mage, white mage, paladin. Each one has a name. Each one does a special set of mechanics. Some of them have to be kept away from other things. Some of them have to be monitored for their particular casts and so that you can interrupt them. Some of them have to be I, I don't know. They, like, everybody's got their own shit going on, and you have to, like, know who's who. So that's a lot to well, keep in your Jen, head. Well, Jen, game balance has changed in the past several years from then, and we got our clear on minimum eye level within an hour. We did. We fucking did. Joining uh, us, nailed it. Joining us for this fight were Catherine Wolfshead, Jinx Sensor, Chi Miyu, Rina Chelloway. Tapandao Jessel and Calidus Caddis. Thank you all. Yeah. Great times were had. Yeah. 
Um, it, it took a it took a few tries, but um, that's to be expected. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> it was very manic. Most fights are a dance, like Jen likes to say. <laughs> this one is pure chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, yeah, you're dancing, but it's like it's like uh, uh, Marty McFly dancing, you know, like bullets at your feet, and you're just like hopping, 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 hopping around with no no rhythm and no plan. You just move, 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 move. At the beginning, you get just King Mogglemog, and you wail on him for a bit until he summons in his minions, the Moggles Guard. And at this point, he becomes invulnerable, and you cannot damage him directly for most of the fight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The overall flow of the fight is that you need to take on all the Moggles Guard and take them down to around 10% of their health, then kill just one. Yes. This causes the king to resurrect the downed Moogle and heal the rest to full. The king will take damage proportionate to the amount of health that he heals. Mm-hmm. So if you like focus fire on one Moogle and <sighs> kill them, the king will heal like one to full and take shit for damage. Yep. And you only get a few rounds of this before the king enrages and it's over. Yeah. So you must make sure you damage all the Moogles down to that low health level and just kill one to make sure that the king takes enough damage for you to push him over the finish line when the time comes. Yep. So there's a lot of coordination here with your um with your party members. Yep. Um to make sure that everybody's uh, you know, you're going to be looking at your enemy list to see how everybody's HP is doing and so that you're not getting too low on one and ignoring others. After 3 rounds of edging the Moogles. <laughs> Amazing. The king will then start to cast Memento Moogle. If he finishes the cast, you will wipe. Full, full wipe, no matter what. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have to, after the third Moogle kill, then you just knock them all down. After that, they will not be resurrected again. Once a Moogle goes down in round three, the king will then start to um, cast his enraged Memento Moogle and you will have to burn every single Moogle to death before the king can be hurt again. Yeah. So it's like a frenzied like GPS God. flail yep. to knock them all down, then burn the king before that wipe hits. Yep. That's the overall flow of the fight. But as far as the moment to moment goes, it is pure chaos. <laughs> it really is. Palm flare. <laughs> so of the enemies, only the king... The warrior Mongols guard and the paladin can be aggroed and tanked. Everyone else does whatever the fuck they want to. So you want one tank to grab the warrior Moogle, one tank to grab the paladin Moogle, and then one of the tanks will taunt the king and keep them busy. The king does these area of effect buffs periodically, which will strengthen any nearby Mongols guard. So when one of the Moogle tanks gets three stacks of this power-up buff, then you want to tank swap the king, so you move his buff circle to another part of the arena, and the buffs can fall off one of the Moogles being tanked. The king also, of course, buffs the errant Moogles guard, who will fly around the arena doing their bullshit. So the tanks want to make sure that the king is not nearby the worst of the, the Moogles guard, because if he powers up certain Moggles guard, then they will fuck you over big time. And there are uh, there's a um, a Moggles guard in particular that will buff the king as well. So you gotta keep them separated. Yep, it's like Whisker Waffle or something. So the <laughs> Whisker Waffle. <laughs> I remember his name. <laughs> so the um the tanks are very busy keeping the tank Moogles busy, and then also the king in the right place and traded back and forth. Totally. <laughs> While that's happening, the drifting Moogles, the errant Moogles, will flip about the arena doing their bullshit. As they do. Um, the So there's two in particular that you have to keep a bead on because they will... This is the Black Mage 
and the white mage, uh, Mongol's Guard. The black mage will kind of center themselves, well, just, just off center. You'll see them slowly floating into towards the center of the arena, and they will cast Palm Flare, which is an enormous AoE that takes up probably 85% of the arena. It will, if it goes off, it's going to do like hell of damage. You don't want this to go off. It's probably going to be a wipe unless you're lucky. Yeah. At least so, on min eye level, it was. Fucking hell. Yeah. So you have to pay attention to that particular Mongol's Guard. When it starts to cast its Palm Flare, y'all got to get onto it because if you hit it five times, it'll interrupt. Yep. Um, I don't think you can just use no, interrupt. You cannot interrupt it with like the interrupt mechanic. You must. Attack deal it five hits times. to it yeah. to interrupt it. Yeah. This is a great time to use those off global cooldown abilities to get extra hits in before yep. bap, the bap, cast bap. bar yeah, finishes. Yeah, pretty good with that. No, we did great. Um like I would call it in that that cast bar would just disappear. Yeah. It and it it's gonna happen constantly. But <laughs> the twist though is that you do not want to hurt the black mage Moogle too much because again, you, you're trying to balance everybody's health. Yeah. Yeah. So you like you do your shit and then everybody walk away from the black mage, okay? Yep. Focus on, on other people. Yeah. Um, he needs enough health to absorb the interrupt hits and not die from them <laughs> until you're ready to push over the phase change. Yeah. And the white mage Moogle does the exact same thing pretty much, except it's called Palm Holy and it will hit the entire arena. Again, you need to save the white mage Moogle's health until they cast Holy. Otherwise, you're going to kill them accidentally and then fuck over your, your progression. Yeah, I don't think they cast it as frequently as the Palm Flare cast. I don't think they cast Holy until Phase 3. That that checks out. Yeah. The White Mage will also cast Palm Cure on the other Moogles, which, even though it seems annoying, is actually helpful. Because <laughs> this they will target the most damaged Moogle and heal them. And if you fucked up and pushed a Moogle too close to Death's Door, then they give them back some health so you've got some You, you buy some room. time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a breathing room. Yep. The other Moogles do various attacks, but they are not as OSHA inducing as the Palm Flare and Palm Holy. Nah. And that is like the overall kind of noise of the fight. However, the Moogles will also team up and do combo attacks from time to time. This is phase three, where it's, they will they will combine their shit. Well, it starts in phase two, but they do more and more combos as the fight goes on. Mm-hmm. So the, the tough one for us was the Swamp one. And this is when the warrior oh, yeah. and archer team up to create a high damage poison puddle on the ground. And the warrior will home gang, so chain, three characters inside the swamp. You must Asuna off the home gang effect. And then the character has to run because that does fuck tons of damage. So much damage. And if a healer gets stuck in there, fuck. get fucked. Yep. Fuck. Like if we had one healer up and then a healer got chained up, then wipe pretty much. Yeah. It's over. It's devastating. Yep. There are also debuffs, which you must Asuna off characters or they will die. And then there will be spread markers dropped on players, which you just need to spread out. The annoying thing, though, is that the time between when the marker disappears and when the spread hits is like several seconds. So I saw multiple times people walking into the danger zone after the graphic disappeared before the spread resolved and they got blasted by that AoE on that player. That's that's fair. Timing is bullshit. Yep. I think the toughest thing in the fight is just the fact that it's so unpredictable. Like, <laughs> nothing is hard individually. No, no, no. It's just a mess of shit. It's an absolute cacophony of spells and pain and, and you know, assholery yeah. from the Muggles Guards. You're just, you're, you're just kind of running around. There's no rhyme or reason. And this fight seems to be hard for healers, too, because there's no predictable damage. Characters will take damage from random shit all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, watch the tank. Here comes the raid wire to heal that. No, everything is reactionary. Yeah. It, which, it's just panic. And, and I, you know, I guess thematically appropriate for Moogles no, just it, in it's, general. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It was apparently very hard back when it was first released. But even with the yeah. chaos, it's a lot of fun to kind of just ride it and deal with it. Yeah. It's a different experience totally. than all the other extremes in the game. Yep. And voice chat helped a ton, calling oh out my God. Palm Flare, Palm Holy, you know, okay, mm-hmm. time to kill this Moogle so we can phase change, all yep. that shit. Yeah. So helpful to not fuck up. Oh my God, can you imagine? So we do so. We edge the Moogles successfully, <laughs> and then we finish them off one by one. Then we take out the king before he enrages, and that's the fight. 
hopefully this time the Mongols guard will learn their lesson. Definitely. A bit of trivia. Catherine said that the king is the 12th because this is the 12th game that Mughals have appeared in since Final Fantasy 3 in which they first appeared. Yeah. The 12th mainline game, not counting the side titles and shit. Any comments on that fight to wrap up? Going in, obviously, I, I watched a guide because I want to know what I'm getting into. And then I was like, fuck. <laughs> and so expectations were set. Uh, but doing the fight, it yeah, you're running around in a panic, a blind fucking panic the entire time. And everybody's screaming over each other and running around. But at the end of the day, it was, it's pretty fun. Yep. <laughs> Honestly. Last thing for today is Odin. Odin is a recurring summon in the Final Fantasy series, first appearing in Final Fantasy III. His signature ability is Zantetsuken, which is a sword slash that will slay most things in a single blow. He typically appears as an armored rider atop his many-legged horse Sleepnir. The leg count varies from game to game. Oh, I was like, I think it's a normal horse. Sleepnir is an eight-legged horse. In real world in, mythology. In Norse, in Norse yeah. mythology. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Spider horse. In Final Fantasy XIV, Odin first appeared in a fate. The fate can appear in locations throughout the Black Shroud. And when it appears, the weather changes to a special condition called tension, which is a supernatural pall across the Shroud. Cool. Have you never done this, Jen? I doubt it very much. Whack. Yeah, it, w- it would have been a couple of years ago. I don't remember it at all. I mean, all. people will call out an FC usually when like, oh, a, a special fate's up, like yeah. Odin. I can't remember in recent memory anybody being like, hey guys, Odin's up. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Well, anyway, Odin is a boss fate, which appears in the Black Shroud, as mentioned. And it is unique in that his head will always change to match that the last player that killed him, even if it's a Lala. <laughs> so when you go into the fate, Thanks. you can see the features of the prior Slayer of Odin. That's cool. This plays into the story, which we'll get to in a hot second. Mm-hmm. The fate awards a special currency that can be traded for Odin swag. Uh... So that's the fate. The fate is essentially like the mini version of the trial. So the trial was implemented at a later date than the fate itself. And the trial is technically an extreme and doesn't appear in any of the trial roulettes. But I think this this is honestly the easiest extreme in the game. Uh, Totally. And it should be the first extreme that a player should do, honestly. This is such a great place to onboard the extreme mechanics. It is hard. You will probably die. At least we died on min eye level. Though maybe you could probably brute force it without the, um, the min eye level sink. Regardless, though, stuff can get hairy in there, even though it's not that hard. And all the mechanics are telegraphed extremely clearly. There's no fuck you, you're across the arena, you get burned to death by Ifrit bullshit. Yeah. Or mid up against the tank buster five seconds in advance before the cast bar appears or you die. Right. No, the, the mechanics are familiar. They're recognizable. They're communicated. The issue is that there are a lot of like debuffs that go out that yep. will fuck you up over time. We got the clear on minimum eye level in about 30 minutes. It took us, I think, four pulls to clear. It was pretty straightforward. So getting into it, at the Waking Sands, we see that Urian J has a blue quest for us called Primal Fear. We say, what's up, Urian J? And we hear that he has tidings most ominous. A primal walketh the shroud. Bolor Lewin in Gradania has further details. So we head to the Archer's Guild, and he says that a shadow-clad knight has been seen riding through the Shroud. He thinks that this is more than a ghost story, but we better hear it for ourselves. So we hit the town and listen for rumors. <laughs> yeah, we, we walk around New Gridania and talk to a couple people, and they're like, yeah, there's a scary ghost guy running around on a horse. Except he's not a ghost. He's, he's like, there's there's physicality to him. There's 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 density. He's He is of this earth or whatever. Like, it's not just a you know a, a trick of the eye or something um also everybody is is on is on the same page as far as like this this dude is is scary looking 
His horse is even more scary looking. Uh, don't even get me started on his sword. And we're all gonna die. So, that is the word around town. So, we have a knight clad in shadow forged armor, which sounds cool as hell. A mammoth sword and a hellsborn steed. It is clear now. Our worst forebodings have proven most unfortunately prescient. So, like, this this thing is real. We gotta deal with it. Ancient scriptures speak of this entity. It is Odin, the dark divinity. And we need to consult somebody who is familiar with these scriptures. And that somebody is Oapesi in Corymil. Oapesi looks like a preteen version of Isumiyan. Yeah. With closely shaved hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is Isumiyan's disciple. He is not featured at all in A Realm Reborn except for in this story. And I think he appears in the Leatherworker finale when you all get together to show off your, your stuff in the amphitheater. Oh, shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was more active in the 1.0 story. And O.F. Pessy tells us that in the legends, Odin rode into our world wielding a blade capable of cleaving earth and heaven. By his fell blade did perish earth herself and countless multitudes of people. Earth, by the way, is a figure from the Allegan days. Okay. And yeah, and, and Odin, his uh, his current jail is in Earth's font. Yeah. So appropriate. It is said in legend that Odin was slain by a hero of Alag. This legend has been verified by recently discovered evidence in Allegan ruins, and the findings suggest that Odin slumbers in Earth's font in the heart of the shroud, contained by the power of a crystal. Yes, so he was he was jailed inside of a crystal. However, it seems the dark divinity has broken free of his crystal fetters somehow, probably because of his sword, because it cleaves fucking yes. heaven itself. And it did indeed. Yeah. As we head now to Earth's Fount, which is that area in southeast or south shroud and the east portion that has like the high level, level forty seven shit and shit. Yes, yeah. And we find these iridescent crystals at the very highest point of the area. Super pretty. We are given by Oep Pessy this holy water with which to cleanse any evil spirits we find. And when we inspect the crystal and we get attacked by an evil spirit, mm-hmm. we dash it with water to weaken it. Mm-hmm. The cast bar on this fucking water is like the same duration uh, as their- It's like, it's that, that thing we did in Curthis where we had to go get the mud puppy steaks. Yes. And then we had to get the special thing that made the mud puppy like more vulnerable. Yes. And you have just barely enough time to get that shit off before he- well, gets you. I had to actually, when it does, it's like a little point blank AOE. I step outside of that. That's when you, that's when you strike. Yeah, the range of the water is greater than the AOE's range. So you can shake it at him while he's AOEing up. <clears throat> but anyways, it's a pain in the butt for like a speed bump fight. We kill the soul ghost. The ghost's name is the last of the Allegans, which. Rip. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Darn it. We, we had one of you this whole time. <laughs> Sorry. So we now inspect the seal on the crystal and obtain a sundered binding stone and return to Oap Pessy. Oap is troubled by this, and he has us report to a nearby hearer named Simi so that she can inform her superiors. And then we go report to Orian J, and he confirms that, yes, you know, this is bad stuff, and someday we may have to face Odin ourselves. This quest ends here. To pick it up again, we have to go now to Back to Cardania, And we find someone named Scarlet, Serpent Lieutenant Scarlet. Oh, okay. Yeah. In Old Gridania. Well, she's in New Gridania. Sorry. And she says, go talk to Oap Pessy. We, we can now seal away Odin. Yeah, he's got a plan. We go to Oap Pessy again. He's right by the crystal this time. And then he says that we need to defeat Odin while Oap is watching so he can discern the reason for Odin's rebirth. But, well, it's it's not just his like his escape from the jail. It's the fact that a bunch of adventurers before us, like like just in the preceding weeks, months, or weeks probably, days, um, a bunch of people have killed this guy. He keeps coming back. Well, he is talking about the fate. Uh, because, okay. You know, that they, makes sense. You kill but the it's fate. still like... You kill him, he comes back. Somebody else kills him, he comes back. And yes. they're like, we need to watch you when you kill him so we can get some idea of 
how he is able to do this. Yes. Who is summoning him and why does his appearance change every time he reappears? Right. Mm -hmm. So with the power of the elementals, OWAP will call Odin here and trial unlocked. Thank you to these players who helped us on this adventure. Um, we have um, Mikdo Dakwil, um, Aki Maho, Mervin, Raven Ghostpaw, Violet Erveld, Athena Kylo, Athena Kylo. Um, I think that's it. And yep. then and then us two. Yeah. And then um, us two. And then us two. And we did it. We done it. We sure did it. As mentioned, this trial has a bunch of like telegraphed AOEs. You don't stand in the shit. That's the rule, pretty much, or that. Yeah. And sometimes, though, it can be difficult. Like, I was having issues because he will spam an ability called Valknut, which is a point-blank AoE. And it's pretty big, though, because you'll have to dodge around sometimes. He might chase you away from his initial position. If you get cornered against the arena's edge and he Valknuts, then you have to... <laughs> wow, Jin. <laughs> Um, you can get stuck essentially between overlapping AoEs and the Valknut and not be able to escape if you have yourself cornered. So make sure that you have a safe space to dodge into because he will Valknut while other AoEs are resolving at the same time. And Jen, are you like 12? <laughs> You're 12. Thank you. <laughs> so We can um, talk about edging Moogles. That's, I can laugh about Valknutting. We bring them to the edge of their health bars, Jen. Sure, okay. Yeah, then we finish them off. With mortal blows. Oh my god. Giving them the quiet death. <laughs> it's the little death. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway. Um, so there's a bunch of shit going on. He, he, he drops AoEs. This guy has, again, great first extreme. He has a tank buster that is not telegraphed with the tank buster danger marker. It is just a cast bar. The cast name is Sangatal. This will be a big fat hit that the tank should hit mitigation for before it lands. If you don't, you could get one shot, at least on min-eye level. Mm. So again, this happens all the fucking time in extremes and on Savage. There is almost always a tank buster that has a cast bar name, but no graphical telegraph that you'll need to learn and you'll need to mitigate for when it happens. There's just enough time to pop two mitigations when the cast starts before the hit lands. Beyond the various AoEs here, a few things to note, especially. One, there are a bunch of debuffs going out. Oh, God. Like Jin says, uh, he will hit the raid with bleeds and slows and shit. Uh, it happens either heal through it or Asuna in some cases. Though, honestly, for the slow duration, it might not be worth an Asuna. No, no, no. The The bleeds are, I think, 30 seconds. Yep. So you definitely want to save, like, if you're a bard, for example. I was, that's what I saved my Asuna um that's not what it's called but it, that's what what it does so yeah don't really waste it on the slow unless it's fucking you up yeah um, he will also drop these giant like red aoe's that are targeting certain players this is like your standard kind of player targeted spread marker but these are huge those people gotta get away from the the group pretty much and let those hit yeah finally the only other thing that's not like just dodge the aoe or heal through it it is the spear mechanic well he will drive spears into the ground these become targetable. While they are in effect, the party takes an ongoing bleed effect. You must kill the spears for the bleed to wear off. Mm -hmm. And this fight is hard on the healers. There's a lot of like raid-wide damage going on, and these spears will tick for a lot over time. So you got to focus fire on them, preferably like pick one at a time so you burn them faster yeah. so the healers don't get tapped out. Like when we wiped, it wasn't because like we fucked up like one mechanic and then we all died. It was from attrition due to the totally um, like the stacking. We just dropped one after the other. Yeah, the other exactly. The other. Yep. Those are the main things to watch for. Otherwise, don't stand in the crap. <laughs> At the end of the fight, when Odin reaches fifteen percent health, then he will cast his enrage. This is Shin Zansetsuken. 
This will be a long cast bar, after which Odin does his classic Zantetsuken move, where he will slice with his sword. The universe. Yes. Like a second later, everyone dies. Anime style. Yeah. So you have to, of course, burn him down before the um, the cast bar finishes, or you have like a second afterwards, apparently, before the actual damage hits and you die. Yeah. It is for like 99999 damage. Yeah. Classic. And that's the fight. As the fight finishes, we see Odin's Aether dissipate. Uh, we see, though, his sword remains in the clearing. Yes. This is important. Yes. Also weird. Also, I guess as a note, beyond the sword, the trial version of Odin has his face exposed before the fight begins. Then he will put his helmet on when the fight starts. However, there's no kind of like rotating player face mechanic here. It is always like some dusk white Elizin face or something, I think, on him. Bald. He has the same face all the time. I don't know why. We couldn't figure out why they had that kind of quirk with his head being visible. It'd be cool if like it showed the last group to clear. Yeah. Like a player from that group or whatever then went to the next group. It'd be super cool. That, that Maybe that was the idea, but that was too hard to implement. So they said, fuck it. I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. Anyway, so that all happens, and we leave the clearing. The battle is won, but not the war. <clears throat> After we leave, we are joined by Yi Sumiyan. He and Oap are talking with us, and they are saying that, okay, so we got something from this clear. Normally, when primals are slain, they're either returns to the land. Mm-hmm. It seems like Odin's body dissipates after being slain, but the sword remains. Um, so... The sword is still there. It did not fade away like Odin's Aether did. Yeah. In examining the blade, they found its etheric density to be extraordinarily high. Yep. So maybe the blade itself is the dark divinity. Mm-hmm. They postulate that maybe the blade absorbs Aether from the shroud. So that's where it gets the Aether to create Odin from, not from like summoning crystals. There's no like tempered Odin faithful running around. Right. Or yeah. It's just like trickle charging itself. And also they wonder who are the faithful? Like who's actually like summoning Odin back to life? Who has prayers? Yeah. Like no, nobody's running around as, as an Odin faithful. Maybe says OF Pessy. This is another case of our imperfect understanding of primals. We should delve more into the mysteries of primal nature in order to understand this recurring problem. Fuck. God damn it. Got her. (laughs) (laughs) For Mm. now, though, they're going to try and seal away the blade. But suddenly a wood whaler rushes up. No, it's Bolord Lewin himself. Sorry, excuse me. Bolord Lewin himself (laughs) rushes up and reports that a soldier has stolen the blade. And Oap is like... Are you serious? What kind of organization are you running? It, it, more like, do you even know the men that you lead? Would they so easily betray you? And Bolor Lewin is like, no, this is this is a sworn member of the God's Quiver. This is not some like fly by night or- organization. Like this is the cream of the fucking crop. True believers. <laughs> um, so something must have compromised this guy. And, and so. We speculate that the blade compelled someone. Maybe the blade tempered someone into stealing it. To protect it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so they go off to search for the blade. It's manhunt now. And that's the end of the quest line. Yup. That's the mystery continues. So I am wondering, Jen, with this revelation, like, is it implied that the player who kills Odin in the fate becomes Odin? Because it seems like. This this <laughs> guy who stole the sword might become like the next Odin or something. Right. Like and you go, obviously, let's well let's just walk through it. You know, you so you, you find Odin in the wild, you're like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna destroy this thing. And you destroy him. But there's a sword sticking out of the ground and you're like, Oh, that's mine now. Yep. And then boom. That's it. You're the new vessel for Odin. Yeah. The game does not, of course, like perma kill a player. That kills Odin. No, no, no. But it feels like that's the implication, even though the mechanics of the game do not support that in terms of, of it being like a persistent MMO. Right. But I, I feel like because every other character, every other player character, except for your player character, is an adventurer. <laughs> right. Like they are. They're expendable. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I kind of feel like this is actually what's happening is the person who appears as Odin is actually transformed from their mortal self into Odin the primal. Yeah. Lore-wise, this is cool. This makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we're not... He's not going to start disappearing like PCs or anything like nope. that. But um, but yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, great. Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, that is Odin. 
Yay! Well, that concludes all of our um, remaining 2.1 business and some other stuff as well. It's like a grab bag. Yeah, no. Um, nice little closeout. <laughs> Fun trials. Thank you, everyone. Both trials were great. Uh, good people, good times. Yeah. Lots of fun. Got her done. A couple things to close out with. One, this won't be a surprise to anyone, but we are officially announcing our series between the coverage of the 2.1 and 2.2 content, which is the entirety of the Coils of Bahamut. Oh, shit. If you have never experienced the story of Coils, we have a lot of Discord members who are happy to run anyone through Unsynced. So hop on that Discord, check the show notes for that link. And uh, you can probably get a clear if you've not done so already. Everyone should see the story, even though Definitely. the mechanics are, are janky. So unsynced story mode. Do it. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We will be starting on coils in a couple episodes. Next time, though, we are talking about the Kobold Beast Tribe quest. See you then. And with that, uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening and being there and being cool. If you want to get in touch, you can at podreturnffxiv at gmail.com or check the show notes for that Discord and uh, lots of good conversations and people. It's real fun. And if you ever want to join us on group content, that's where you would do it. So yeah, uh, thank you guys again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a good day or night and we will see you next time.